Hey everybody, welcome, welcome to Walk It Off's Happy Hour Hang, midweek Happy Hour Hang. We're your hosts, Drew, I'm pointing at you, and, me. and Dave, and we're super excited to be here midweek uh, to get all your sports talk in, all your water cooler talk that, frankly, we couldn't even get all of it in last Sunday, Drew. It is, we, tried. we tried so hard. I think it was a valiant effort, I really do. We got through a lot, man, but this was one just chock-full week of sports. And, of course, stuff that was kind of tailor-made for us to talk about. Stuff that we like talking about, stuff that we could spend some time on. And stuff that affected, you know, not only the global water cooler conversation, the national global cooler water cooler conversation, Nashville water cooler conversation... And Phoenix water cooler. I know. Geographically, we were covered and overlapping and everything. And I don't think I had a chance to say it on the air, but I think I might have told you beforehand. It was in a good way, but it it was overwhelming. Like, where do we even start last Sunday? I don't recall a show that felt like that in a long time because we we always, I mean, literally every show, it's a week, a, a week, so many things happen, which is one of the reasons we started these midweek happy hour hangs is to start breaking that up and allow us to cover with a little bit more depth, the things that we don't get to get into on just a once per week basis. So every Sunday we're, we're battling to get through everything. And I, every time we, I feel like we start the show, there's so much going on, Drew, how do we even get through this? But last week stood out to me in four plus years that we've been doing this as one of the most jam packed shows we've done. And, it, it turned out to be really exciting, partially because it was the first uh, Summer Olympics we've, we've covered. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it on the show. But we haven't covered a Summer Olympics. It's been, you know, five years since there has been the last one. And it, it's fun to talk about just just how much I love the Olympics, too. Like, look, we all know that this Olympics probably should not be happening right now. It's yeah. pretty ridiculous to have it there with no fans allowed, with all the restrictions on athletes and entourage and everything that's going on there. Although apparently the anti-sex beds are uh, an overblown story. (laughs) Look, you're not shutting down the Olympic Village for nothing. That's true. Yeah, nice try. No cardboards fixing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the main reasons you try to make the Olympics, right? That's exactly right. Just Just to get into those escapades, my gosh. Eastern European beach volleyball player. Nice to meet you. Yeah. You got to think that they've got some hidden medals just for that, right? Like that, <laughs> that every time you walk out, it's some inside story that, that uh, when they're done, somebody's getting medals hung around their neck, if not other things potentially. But. but that's not the only reason we love the Olympics, man. Just uh, I mentioned it on the show too, but my favorite part of it is that it's always on. It's always on. Yeah. And it's just so much fun to have that on in the background. And, yeah, you can turn your head and say, oh, cool, basketball. Or, all right, look at that, field hockey or something. But (laughs) out of all the Olympic sports I picked one, I'm not even sure is actually in the Olympics. (laughs) But, you know, you might turn your head and say, what the hell even is this? Oh, that's handball. Not the handball I played growing up. But, all right, (laughs) Olympic handball. Sure. Not the handball in Olympic Village. But the the other handball. <laughs> but you get absorbed, man. Just yeah. the other night, the triathlete was on triathlon. Women's triathlon was going on late at night. 
I stayed up the whole time. You needed to know where this was going, man. These athletes are incredible. It becomes must-watch. It's it, to some degree, I equate it to golf. I, I like watching golf, and one of the reasons I like it is because it can be in the background until something clicks and you wind up being engrossed in it. And usually that's a Sunday kind of thing because you wind up watching the competition come down to the wire. But it, it's even more intense for for the Olympics because you're right. If you give it any iota of attention, you're you're drawn in immediately. And part of that's because you're going to root for the U.S. I, 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 most most of us, I mean, because that's our that's the country we live in. But that's not who we have to root for, obviously. Uh, so there's definitely allegiances and alliances beyond that. But one of the things I also like about it is even if you're watching like a qualifying match or some different stage that doesn't involve the U.S. or you're just intrigued by another team like or another competitor, an individual competitor who may not be uh, from the U.S., you, you're drawn to them and you're excited. You're, you're rooting for just such a variety and a wealth of different people. And all it takes, like you said, is you know diverting your attention from sweeping or mopping or whatever you were doing to turn around and watch that for five seconds and then six hours is gone because you watch that whole that whole thing and <laughs> they set you up and told the stories of the next athletes that are coming up and participating exactly. in your, and you got to see everybody everybody do their jobs it's 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 a spectacle it's a spectacle yeah, and even if you don't have a rooting interest for your country or something you will always find that uh, you know especially in the usa we're spoiled there's american athletes in every single sport it seems like but still you know you you find some things there and that triathlon man one of the american women was just having trouble hanging on to the end of the front pack and you catch yourself you're like oh get in there yeah. you can't fall behind you gotta be with that first leader pack if you fall into that chase pack your metal chances are so much lower I don't actually know that, but you hear it enough times. Yeah, yeah. While you're seeing this, you know, funny story. Neither of us triathletes, but no, no. I'm an athlete who tries. But hey, uh, hey oh, <laughs> uh, but I I agree with you. Like that that those those kinds of like um, uh, intense competition like that, or last minute charges, or whatever it is, it's unique in the in the Olympics too. Because I mean. Maybe basketball may be different because it replicates to some degree basketball we watch in the NBA and elsewhere. But the, the sports we're used to watching and talking about all have the same way of coming down to the end. They all have the same way of winding down and what a close match looks like. And with the NBA, you know, timeouts and free throws and the NFL. Not the big three, though. Not, not the big three. That's true. <laughs> and one of the reasons that. This just looking at the Olympics and the draw of it is more value to where the big three can fit in in our landscape is breaking us out of this because you watch a race on while you're watching the Olympics and it starts and it can be close and then it ends and that's that's how it works. I know it sounds so simple, but there's no it's it's just it's such instant gratification and direct immediate competition that. You don't get, or you get in different ways that we just see over and over again. You get it packaged differently in the Olympics, and that's it's just fun to see different kinds of sports play out that I know are happening elsewhere. I know there's qualifiers. I know there's different cups. I know that there's regional competitions. I know that there's college competitions, but I don't watch it. 
unless I'm unless I have a, a major rooting interest in that. So there's it, it's a reason to watch all these different sports, which just expands how fun and cool and engaging and exciting the sports landscape is. Yeah, man, learning. Finally got new things. Look, I like that sound. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) See, we are your knowledgeable sports talk radio hosts. We are. You hear every week talking about all of the professional sports landscape and all the stuff that we love so much, and we're so immersed in it that it's nice to be surprised. It's nice to learn new things. Like this, you know, I was watching fencing, the, the finals of team fencing earlier today. Every time those epées touched or a score was made, I needed the slow-mo. Yeah. I, I'm going to admit to you, man, I needed the slow-mo. I was like, wait, I thought she hit first. No, didn't she hit first? No, you're, you're just watching and saying, oh, okay, it's the counters that are more important than the actual attacks when it comes to landing actual points in this discipline. That's interesting. You know, watching water polo. Did you know that water polo players can only touch the ball with one hand? Except the goalie. The goalie's the only one allowed to use two hands. That's pretty cool. The other hand is furiously doggy paddling or something. It's got yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to not use to use more than one hand, honestly, but that's uh no, I I love that, man. I it it makes me want to di- first off, fencing is one that I had not dug into. I haven't watched yet this year. Uh th- this Olympics. And I've always wanted to learn the the ins and outs of that, what the different moves are, what the different points were, uh, all the terms. Those are fun, too, because that one's chock full of brand new terms for every everything that you do. It's it's a whole new world. It's a new language. It's it's cool. Spoiler alert. Women's team gold medal. Estonia. Well, they're known Congratulations for their fences. to the Estonians. Congratulations. Hell Estonia. of a finals. It was a hell of a finals, I'll tell you that much. Right down to the wire. I love it. I love it. We need more of that. But the last thing I'll go into about why I love the Olympics so much is tough right now, too. Because I don't know where you're at, but a lot of us aren't ready to get back into crowds yet. And that's always been the thing that's so exciting, man. I've loved going to, you know, obviously, this show is built around sports bar banter. That's what we like doing. Yeah. Just going out there and talking to our friends about sports. We're not doing right now. We know our stuff. We're not the guys breaking news for you, but we're here to talk about that news as soon as it happens and break it down. And, you know, I, I love sitting there with you, with people who are just out there with sports fans talking sports. It's just such a fun, entertaining thing. But the Olympics are a different level because pretty much everybody's rooting for the same team you go to a buffalo wild wings <laughs> you go to a, an applebee's during the olympics that tv's on all those random sports are playing there's a, a bicycle race or something going on in the background and every fucking dude in that buffalo wild wings is like usa 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 come on go go Pedal faster! Pedal that, faster! That is so it's true. Such a unique, weird experience. So true. That only comes around once every four years. Yeah, and, and there's also World Cup and World Baseball Classic and all these international competitions. But yeah, the Olympics are still a different level, and also that it just goes on for weeks, nonstop. Yeah, and and it's obviously it's a variety of sports too, which help. Uh, and you get 
it back to back to back like you're jumping around in some in some uh, at some points in time which is and yeah team and you got individual and i know these are just these are all things everybody knows but that's what gives it the variety and different ways of rooting I, but i agree wholly that is arguably the best thing about it and that's why i was so excited for probably the last time in months i'll mention the suns being in the in the nba finals but i was so excited to be here in yeah, Phoenix. Just wait till we get into Chris Paul free agent talk. Oh my gosh! I don't. I think. I think we're gonna <laughs> leave that one off the table for this show. Sorry, uh, that's gonna be a cluster, man. But the it, it's so fun to be in that environment. Everybody's rooting for the same team, just like we were when we were downtown rooting for the Preds. Just like we were when we've been, uh, you know, watching the the Titans on a Sunday afternoon. It is. That feeling of everybody, and you're right, there are more dissenters there. I mean, just for game five the other day, there was a very loud, obnoxious Bucks fan who I wish would have stayed in Deertown, as I like to call it. That's uh, still part of the fun, though. It is. is that it everybody is. hates the same guy. Exactly. Exactly. It's a miracle he made it, that, that, that guy made it out alive, honestly. But you're right, just that rooting interest, and that's... You know, it's weird nowadays because you can get kind of uncomfortable feeling nationalistic and, you know, pride for your country to some degree outwardly. And maybe that's just my personal uh, conundrum. But it feels weird doing that because we've got this uncomfortable global stage in a country that, as we've talked about on the show, when it's appropriate and when it's, you know, overlapped a lot with sports that has been. Uh, you know, not the best example of, you know, how a country and a society should operate, just to say it generally. But and the it, Olympics aren't immune to that either. They're not immune to that. But they are still that universal language of sports that allows a lot of that to fall to the wayside, at least while you're watching it, for everybody to get excited and root. And it's it's a phenomenon. It's a total phenomenon for us to look past everything else that's bothering us in our lives and have an entire rooting interest and camaraderie with anybody there. Like you, the example you always talk about, turn around and high-fiving that guy next to you and that girl next to you and, you know, and celebrating yeah. these people you just don't know. And, and it, it, it really brings and the community together. All borders, man. All Economic, you know, racial, socioeconomic, any <laughs> It does not matter when you're all standing there wearing gold, talking about the Preds in the middle of Broadway, you yep. know? It's, That's it, man. It's so exciting, you know? Who cares what your job is? Who, you know, who cares what part of town you go back to at night when you're there sitting at the same bar, watching the same screen, cheering for the same team? There's few things that bring people together like that, and we need it so much. That's why it just makes me so mad now seeing people... Like our, uh, you know, our own Nashville transplant, Tommy Laren, celebrating Olympic athletes from the United States who don't win, uh, saying, oh, that's what they get for being woke. What the fuck are you talking about? What is, these are insane people. And yeah, yeah, that's one of the best things about this is the whole country, regardless of your ideology, can cheer for the United States best athletes the people who are the best in the world at what they do and it's so exciting so yeah don't try to make that some more bullshit divisions where one thing that 
Matt, I'm really leaning into the non-radio aspect of this show right now. <laughs> you are. I like it. Take advantage <laughs> of it when it makes sense, man. Let's do it. It's true. When we're it's off airwaves, we get to be a little looser. Yeah. Well, all you got to do is say Tommy Lauren, and it just it just gets going. But it's uh, it's true, man. It's it, I it, it yeah. should be used as a tool for unification, and it you it almost at largely is. And I hate seeing when it isn't. And I'll and I'll I'll I'll, I'll head off one of the big objections is like I, I've I've had this conversation with people about. Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee and BLM and other things coming through in sports as an example of division. But that's not the case. Those those efforts are about forwarding unification and using sports for the vehicle it should be to find ways to be more unified and more respectful of each other. And where there is absolutely no room, and luckily it fails a lot of times, but not all the time, because sports do triumph. They really do, because it, it it, it connects everybody like we've talked about. It has this un, unrelenting power. But it is for something like that where it's about dividing and calling out athletes and taking them out of that conversation and making it more about others and uh, about otherness and they, the, uh, us versus them, those kinds of things. Yeah, we talk about the end of the Stanley Cup finals when two teams who beat the ever-loving hell out of each other for maybe seven games, line up for a handshake at the end of every playoff series, yep. being such a great moment. And th that's what the Olympics are with people from other countries. You know, the Olympics had a hand in ending the Cold War. <laughs> Jesse Owens sending uh, Adolf Hitler off pissed off at the night. And, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much history there. There's so much unification and not just what's going on in the Olympic Village. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely unification. <laughs> so much, you know, experiencing something new. All these players are in Tokyo. That's one of the bummers that this lockdown, they're not getting to experience that whole being somewhere else, being yeah. in a foreign nation that's putting on its best face to host the Olympics. Yeah. That's one of the shames of what's going on right now. But still, you, you see that. And, you know, that fencing match between Estonia and South Korea, hard fought in the finals. And then, you know, you fall to the ground thrilled at the end of your victory, but she first went over to, you know, kind of give that half hug and console the South Korean who she'd just beaten, who now has to settle for silver. That triathlon race, the eventual champion was the first medalist ever from Bermuda. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Bermuda, which I learned during that broadcast has less population than Tucson, Arizona. Isn't <laughs> it, is it now the smallest country with wow. a gold medal? That's insane that so, a country that size can produce, I mean, relatively speaking, such good athletes. Uh, or and it, I, I Just mean, amazing. It, it blows my mind. Yep. Can compete on the world stage with this. And then, you know, as after she had won the race and the American runner from the global superpower of America comes in third place for that bronze medal, they're both jumping up and down and waving for each other. You yeah. know, these competitors know what it takes to get there to yeah. be the best that, at what you do that's such a great point like across all those country lines we talk about it from a fan's perspective i can't imagine being an athlete where you're you're, you're talking to somebody who comes from a totally different culture in a lot of in a lot of ways definitely geographically a different place uh different socioeconomic status and expectations and uh and beliefs and all of those things but you know you took almost exactly the same path to get where you are in terms of hard work 
and sacrifice, and nobody else can relate to it the same way as somebody across the way. And we saw a great example of that today with Simone Biles, who, uh, you know, so much respect for her for taking care of herself in a place where we've seen athletes over and over and over again in a bunch of different ways not take care of themselves. It's a, it's a man up, it's a walk it off, sorry to say it, type of attitude that, you know, that, that is built into sports. You know, see through the pain, do all that. And there's a time and a place, but you've got to take care of yourself first, and especially when you're looking at your team. And you saw the way her team and the other athletes have come out and supported her. It's because they know the sacrifice they've, she's made. They can relate to that anxiety of being in that space that she was in. And I, I think I think everybody has been and seen those shoes. I can't, I don't know for sure, right? Nobody's sharing their exact stories. But that's my speculation is that they're looking at where she's at and they're like, I know that, I've done that, or I wish I'd done that. And so there's there's no hard feeling. She she left her team out there to pick up her slack, frankly. And they were prepared to do it and they rose to the challenge. But I you know, so far it doesn't seem like there's any anger or resentment because of that relation that they have of understanding the boat that everybody's in that nobody can relate to except for those other four people there or those other people on the other side of the match. The best reaction to that that I saw was Ali Raisman, another U.S. gymnastics legend, obviously, saying congratulations to the United States team for winning silver. Heck yeah. And that's the part that, you know, your global sports media hot takes industry is missing out on yeah. when you're saying, oh, the U.S. didn't win for the first time. What a disappointment. Look, Simone Biles knew that she wasn't in the state to be at her best right then. So what's best for her team is that substitute, is, is Jordan Child stepping up and taking that spot on the team. And they fought back. The people, without the greatest gymnast in the entire world, the rest of that American team damn near closed that gap. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, man. It's amazing what they did, you know, in such adversity, unexpected like that, you know. That was one of the storylines going into this. Does the United States just lean too much on having someone so far ahead of the rest of the pack in Biles that they just expect her to carry the team? Well, if if she can't carry that load, it was great to see the rest of them step up and be, what, one point short of the greatest in the world without her? Yeah, it it's so cool, man. Like so cool to get a silver medal on that and we don't consider also that if she would have competed it could have been worse. I know we expect her to get if a goal. If she competed in that state it probably would have, which it, is why it's, it's the expectation. You know, yeah. Why no one's blaming you. You yep. you know, you realized you couldn't do that and you notified your team. Yep. That's why there's four people on that team. Yep. It's exactly right. And it's it's a beautiful thing to allow those folks to be showcased and and couldn't have said it better. You're right. What Ali Raisman said is, you know, congratulations on silver because silver's pretty fucking good, man. Silver's awesome. That's huge. So we should be celebrating those accomplishments. And I thought that was a big, a big, uh, and really important storyline for the Olympics. Obviously, it's been the major headline, but deservedly so. I think great example of teamwork, uh, athleticism, uh, humanity, and success for our country. I mean, you can't you can't look at it any other way. With that said, what the hell's wrong with the men's basketball team? I know. I know. I, well, I was going to blame it on uh, on Drew Holiday and 
Devin Booker and Chris Middleton making it over in the middle of the night, but Drew Holiday came in and scored was a leading scorer right off that plane. That's insane. Like this is again something that's just been hot take to death, but we know the answer to this. The United States team is not a team yet. They've barely had any practices. Those three top players just showed up the night before. They lost you know, Bradley Beal. They've been throwing together patchwork. There's been barely any teamwork yet. Yep. And yeah, you have the greatest players in the world. You expect that to carry you past any adversity. But the rest of the world is catching up a little bit. That's the other and big point. The way we saw that, that you know, people talking about Evan Fournier's performance. Yeah. You know, Evan Fournier wouldn't come close to making this U.S. basketball team. Although Javale McGee's on it. <laughs> good, good for them. You know, you take somebody you need, you know, someone who's a, known as a good teammate, no matter how quirky we all see him off oh. the court or or on the court as it, it is. Yeah, and it'll make a difference when you're trying to get a team to gel so quickly. But, yeah, you know, Evan Fournier is playing for his country. That's a different Evan Fournier. I mean, we saw what Luka Doncic did in his first game with Slovakia. Just uh, unbelievable Yeah, numbers that came straight out of a video game. He did whatever he wanted in that game. And that's what you expect from everyone on the U.S. side every single year since the Dream Team. So I'm going to bring them a little bit more good mojo here, all right, U.S. All right. team? I got in the middle of all of our uh, background thing with our Nashville and Tennessee sports. Ooh, I'm excited about this. Bringing up Dream Team Michael Jordan, all right? Nice. Look at how buff he is. Look at those broad Starting shoulders. Dream Team Jordan that looks absolutely nothing like Michael Jordan because it's a starting lineup figure. <laughs> but we love them anyways, all right? That's gorgeous. And much like the basketball shooting robot that's now captured all of our hearts. <laughs> Let's get some buckets, U.S. It did. I wish I had a stroke like that. I'll tell you that <laughs> that blew my mind. The the robot. It really blew my mind. Now that took a lot of heat off the U.S. team, didn't it? It really uh, did. <laughs> with with Instagram and Twitter blowing up about the basketball shooting halftime. I robot. know. It, it, it's almost like that it was, was impressive. It was to go back to half court and just and it doesn't even jump. <laughs> it's uh, I know. Stroke. It's just I wanted to shoot some Rick Barry granny free throws too, but. Yeah, I know, and I think statistically v two point Statistically, that's a higher percentage shot from the right spot, <laughs> at least from the, from free throws or something. There's something easier about the granny shot that I remember hearing statistically proving out. So um, underhanded, but we'll I all remember this moment in 2047 when we're watching Robot League basketball on TV. I mean, we're already kind of watching Robot League basketball on TV in some places. Uh, we're talking e leagues and stuff like that. It's a uh, it's it's going to happen. I mean, we just saw that happen. And like, I know this is a topic for another show, another time, probably, but we are going to be watching robots play basketball against each other someday. And the big question is, are they going to be doing it with their own intelligence, which is going to be insane, their own decision-making, or are they going to be controlled, which essentially at that point is NBA jam. Are we about to derail this entire episode and go into a BattleBots conversation? Because I don't know about you, but I now really want to see BattleBots with basketball hoops on each end. Yeah, I mean, really, all it takes is take a BattleBot and put those hands on top of it. Get rid of the whole body. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, then when the flying blade comes through, chops off those hands. That's exactly right. So it's essentially... going to be a win for the shredder. It really will. So it's going to be one shooter per team, and the rest are just destroyers, like the Shredder. Oh, my 
All right. I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to put a cork in that one, but it's a good time. Honestly, Can you name it Tony Allen. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. It would be fun to put Tony Allen in that mix and see if he could, if he could. <laughs> yeah. Although honestly he might lose an ankle. Um, might kick the hell out of some of those battle bots though. So I heard a can pop open and I want to take this moment to ask you on our midweek happy hour hang, what are you indulging in? What are you imbibing, my friend? Good point. Good point. We're, what, half an hour into this episode already, and we haven't so. discussed what we're drinking? This is the happy hour hang. That's right. Beers, brews, sports, buddies. Buddies. Whatever, whatever we're talking here. But in honor of the Olympics starting in Japan, I got some nice rosebuds on the can here, cherry blossoms. Oh, I like that. From Honky Tonk. For a Honky Tonk sour cherry. That sounds wonderful. I don't know if I've had that one. I love a sour cherry beer, so maybe I have. I, I do like the honky stonk stuff. The cherry blossoms were selling it for me right now. It felt timely. And then yep. you've got a sour cherry blossom Verliner Weiss. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, that's already a mixed group of countries. That's yeah. a podium's <laughs> worth of countries right there. Yeah, it really is. I love that. That is Olympic perfection right there. I love it. That's yeah, not bad either. It's a very mild sour. Good. Well, I wish I'd have found one that was more on topic, but I've got a, I got a stash of delicious IPAs right now that came in a in a mix pack that I actually brought back from Nashville. I think I've talked about it before. This is yeah. Midlife Righteous. Hey, I know from uh, from Burley Oak Brewing in uh, in Berlin, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> and uh, well played. Thank you. And I will say this is definitely off topic, but I saw this, and it reminded me of which I actually saw in a memories thing today was developed. I downloaded it and saved it some six or eight years ago or something like that. The music business two stroke logo that we had as a blog, as part of cinezine.net when you and I were working on that music zine uh, and music magazine. Right. Was, was that, was that Nick? That was Nick Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about yeah. his, uh, his experience as a, as an artist uh, tour manager and artist manager and, in the music industry in Nashville and beyond. And, and he was connecting it metaphorically and sometimes directly to, you know, working on uh, two stroke engines. Cause he was, his passion beyond that was, uh, was, was motorcycles and such. So pretty cool. And it lo- the, the logo had a little motorcycle on it like that. Nice. Nice yeah. way to bring it back, man. I hadn't thought about that in a while, but yeah, some, some good times. Yeah, for some sure. Good it brought us here, man. That's what I love about it. So, well, before we jumped on this, though, we were about to talk about something very important, and we decided to save it for the show, for when we were talking and being recorded. And I don't know, this could be the most important oh. thing happening in sports right now. I don't mean to build it up too much or set too high of an expectation, but that Jordan, that Jordan doll, that Jordan figure is apt because... Uh- Oh no, we got a locked Action up Drew. figure. Action figure, of course. <laughs> Tall. Maybe you collect dolls, Drew. Um, we were we were about to talk about the new Space Jam. We've both seen it, and of course, you know, we've seen the original Space Jam. Now I will say I did rewatch it as a primer before this other one, just because I hadn't seen it in a decade plus. You, just, you didn't just listen to the uh, recent podcast episode that I guess hosted about the original Space Jam? I actually did. That I need was, to. 
not what you need to listen to at all to get you primed for the second one. <laughs> I think I need to listen to it, though. I really do. Not uh, even a little bit. But, man, yeah, Space Jam 2. How about that? How long have we been talking about this movie for it to actually come out now? Honestly, too long. So that's part of it. It's it, Now, as I recall, through all the iterations, and maybe you know because you just did research for a podcast about it, but... There were iterations planned to bring Michael jo- yeah, <laughs> to bring Michael Jordan back. Uh, to no do- spoilers, but Michael Jordan does return. <laughs> he does. I mean, I think that's a worthwhile spoiler. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, that was a fantastic scene. It really was. I got to say, as soon as they said it, I knew it. I knew it, but I was very happy with it. It could have been my favorite <laughs> scene. But so they've talked. They talked about Jordan coming back. They talked about other athletes, be you know, being the Space Jam central character. And of course, it just fell through. Didn't happen for all whatever reasons over years, over decades, until now. LeBron regenerates it as uh, as the star. And I gotta say, before watching it, that is what what I was kind of happy about, even though my feelings towards Michael and LeBron are totally different. Um, it, he's the guy. He, he's the I guy. don't know who else Thank could you. have done it. That, it. It was the right person at the right time. There's no other person in the history of basketball, I don't think. And there's been a lot of stars. He's the closest thing to the star level that, that, that Michael had. And so he was the guy. Well said. Although I will say I'm very proud of LeBron for continuing the legacy of Space Jam 1 by acting about as well as Michael Jordan did. <laughs> That's true. You know, I said when it was done that I thought Jordan did a better job. <laughs> I mean, it was a, a little rough out there. Jordan fell on the ground and got licked by a dog, and so he had that physical like prop comedy he had to he had to do. He also had a lot less lines. That's true. Helps. That's true. And he didn't have to work with kids that much. I guess Jordan did, but there was a lot more interaction and dialogue with children, which you know. It's got to be tough, especially when you're dealing with children that are better actors than you. Matt, why did they? Sorry, there's so much. Why did they? Here, let's let's get on the basics here. Okay. I liked Space Jam too. I don't. I know everyone's hating on it. I thought it was a very fun movie. I was entertained the whole time. That said, it was dumb as all hell. It was. <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more. And I on both points, I personally didn't love the premise as much mainly because I'm it wasn't space. Yeah, well, that's, that's a, that's a great point. Also a great point. The, well, it was, it was, it was, it was the, the cyber space. cyberspace. So it, was, it took place in cyberspace, which honestly I didn't know going into watching the movie. I'm sure somebody said it out there before that, but I didn't, that, that premise tweaked me a little bit. I thought they could have actually aligned it more with the original premise, which would have made it a little bit more understandable, but I, I had two problems. And one was I kind of just thought LeBron was a dick. Like, and I thought he kind of sucked. He really sucked <laughs> too much. Like I get the lesson with kids and like letting them do things beyond competing in one particular space, but he came across as a dick and I don't really love LeBron as a, as a, as a basketball fan. I think he's a fantastic guy for basketball. I, I respect him a ton, but I don't. So it made me dislike him more. And he also, was real quick to turn on his own son, wasn't he? he? All right, we'll just beat you in this game. Yeah, he's like, all right, we'll crush you. And you add that to my only other major qualm with it, which was that he, his son was essentially kidnapped 
And he was like, well, I guess I'll go play a basketball game. There was no urgency around a kidnapped son. And I get, I get, you know, playing along for the sake of a story, but that one, that one threw me off a little bit. And when he finally does find him, it's not, oh my God, there you are. I'm so happy to find you. It's like, oh, you want to play for the other team? All right, bring it on. Bugs and I'll get you, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. It was much less realistic than Space Jam 1. <laughs> I mean, who knows what's at the bottom of golf holes? I that, mean. I, that's true. That's true. That's true. Bill Murray makes anything realistic. He, you know in that universe everything is good. Uh, I do Literally. love... I, I, I wish I remembered who I saw this from. I, I, I Not the first to make this observation, so I could give credit, but I do love that it did settle one of our greatest of all time debates because look at this. In the first Space Jam... The Looney Tunes' existence is in peril, and Michael Jordan saves their asses. In this Space Jam, the Looney Tunes have to save LeBron. That's a good point. Yeah, he needed the tunes to do it, which, yeah, I, they're not, yeah. I, that's, a, that's just a great point. That's just a, that's just a great point. And they stepped up, despite his lack of good coaching and training. Jordan trained them up, too. And and he and then saved him. That and, was one of the big problems I had with the movie. Honestly, yeah. I don't think they, rem- the, the movie writers did not know whether they wanted the Looney Tunes to remember that first game or not. Yeah, That's there were certain scenes where it felt like they were talking about it, like, "Yeah, we've done this before, no big deal." And then there were other scenes where they're like, "What a basketball game!" Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's a really great point. Yeah, because I couldn't figure out whether LeBron was supposed to make them better basketball players again, like Jordan did, which means that they would have to forget that they did know how to play good basketball. No, they had to play their own style without LeBron to win. But they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but that's because it was in a video there game. There was no right? LeBron secret stuff. I know. I there was nothing like that. I really. That's my one of my favorite parts of the original Space Jam is the secret stuff speech and that happening and the fact that Devin Booker drinks secret stuff now too. But. Uh, <laughs> It it was missing those things, but I love. I'm glad what you said. Like, we have a tendency to 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 veer positive on this show, and I think that's the right place to be. Right, we're here to have fun, and we're here to find the good stuff and all these things that don't need to be torn down and make us feel shitty about ourselves. Space Jam it's Two sports, was man. fun, There's man. Enough. It was entertaining. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Exactly. There's enough things out there to stress over and make you feel bad. Sports and shouldn't be one of them. It's tough when your team's doing good or when your favorite player gets traded. We all know that. But yeah, a, a movie like Space Jam 2 that's made for kids and also just silly fun with the freaking Looney Tunes. I mean, the Looney Tunes are great. They're fantastic actors. I love each and every Looney Tune. They do. They always hit their mark. <laughs> yeah, there were goofy-ass scenes. There was a Porky Pig rap battle. We all know that from the preview. Totally unnecessary, but hey, just just sit back and enjoy it for a second, okay? Yeah. There were some goofy things. There was some fun stuff, some great scenes. Yes, half of it was just a commercial for HBO Max. Look, there's Pennywise, the clown. There's Rick and Morty. Yeah, Yeah, that whole universe seeing the mask back there, too, was really interesting. Yeah. Look at all you can watch with HBO Max and Warner Brothers. (laughs) You know, you see things like that, you know, you know that this is the beginning of more of this. So but it, it also took, gave us the slapstick fun. It did. It gave us it gave us the everything. Batman we wanted. And Robin scene. I mean, come on. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm ready for Devin Booker and 
Ja Morant and DeAndre Ayton. Honestly, those would be my top three that I'd love to see. I feel like I feel like I'm missing somebody I'd love to see in that too. Oh, last point I want to make that that made me recall. They brought in other stars, and I feel like they were able to shine a lot more. I love the stars that they brought in. I really do. I love seeing Dame. I love seeing Diana Taurasi. I love seeing that whole crew. I feel like Anthony Davis didn't need to be in there. It was a little Laker heavy for my taste. but Calling uh, him the brow, I mean, that was just rude. It was, I know. <laughs> but but they, I, I, like, I get that they were monsters and they had more of their personality slash looks. Not personality, I guess, but more of their looks. But they... I liked in the other team that those other players were able to kind of have a a role, you know, and you got to see them be goofy and whatever else. And I don't, I feel like we didn't get that with these with these players this time. They kind of disappeared into the background and just became monsters. If that's what I can't remember if that's what they're called this time. Um, <laughs> uh, again, goon squad, goon squad. Yeah, that's right. But no, you're you're exactly right. Were they even seen in person? At the beginning, yeah, you see them. You see them all in person, all together, and boy, I don't even remember oh, yeah, how yeah. they take it. But yeah, you see them all kind of ag- aggregating together, congregating together, right before they get swiped up. Which might have been a lesson learned from the first one, because if if Michael Jordan and LeBron's acting were a little rough, Charles Barkley and Muggsy Bogues and Patrick Ewing were extremely rough. <laughs> Grandma Ma did it. Larry Johnson did it. But he, he's yeah. No, they definitely were. And I think that's what you play into, right? Like, is let them be. Everybody knows they're athletes, and they're not going to get huge roles like that transform the movie. Let them be bad actors, you know. Like that's one of my favorite things about Space Jam, as I recall the whole time. That's one of the reasons I I already loved the Charlotte Hornets at the time, but have Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson on there. I loved seeing that with them. Um, uh, Sean Bradley. You know, come on. It's the doorway scene where all of them hit their heads on the doorway except for <laughs> is that Muggsy. Muggsy? Yeah. Is classic, it's great br- slapstick comedy. It really is. On par with the best of the Looney Tunes. So, agree. Yeah, it was a shame that these, these uh, since it was cyberspace, these players whose powers were stolen didn't actually have their powers stolen. They just got copied into a video game or whatever. That's it. And then enhanced in a weird way. So, yeah, not my favorite part, but I'll the Dame just, time scene was still pretty fun. It, it was. I'm. I like seeing. I'm just glad Dame was in there. He's one of my favorite players, so it was cool to see. Yeah. 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 So don't don't set your expectations too high, but go enjoy Space Jam too, man. It was fun. Absolutely. Bring bring Bugs Bunny back to relevance. All right, we've got some great characters here, some fantastic actors among those Looney Tunes. There's but no. I think it was a little bit strange give the prominent role that they gave to uh that big red furry thing yeah i don't even just want a lot he was and i don't know exactly why uh i don't know if he was in the first one as much um and honestly i don't know his name i'm sure he has a name right or they maybe they maybe they's the most appropriate term at this point but yeah uh, uh, the Looney Tunes didn't really get as many scenes as they did in the first one either, yeah. individually. Yep. I mean, where was that adorable little mouse thing? That was a great scene in, in the first one. Yeah, that's right. The, hey, hey, at least Granny got a big role. Yeah, Gran- Granny's <laughs> always good there. Yeah, and and you had a little less uh, sexual harassment for Bugs Bunny towards Lola, too, which was a nice little change of pace, but uh, <laughs> a little less. A little less, I said. 
Yeah, they uh, they try they tried real hard on that one. <laughs> like, Here's Lola, the best basketball player among <laughs> us, and nothing else. And just nothing the else. Best basketball player. Yep. <laughs> now, that was definitely a change of pace, but you can't argue about the Looney Tunes at all. They they nailed it. Uh, it was the premise in general. The kid, little little LeBron, uh, I don't remember his name, but the, his son, he did a great job. Oh, yeah, that, that's the part I wanted to see that I thought was throwing me off pretty much this entire movie. Look, I know the first movie, that wasn't Michael Jordan's actual family. But wasn't it kind of weird that they didn't use LeBron's actual family? considering that they're all kind of minor celebrities as well. I kind of, and knowing their role, I mean, the mom has a few moments where she really has to act. And I think she's a pretty famous actress that played that role. I'm definitely familiar with her. I've seen her, but I I think it could have been done that way. And it certainly wouldn't have affected it. It took me a while to to realize that it wasn't them. I just don't know what they look like off the top of my head. I was like, are those really, is that really his family? And It'd have been a it'd have been a good setup, yeah. The son who loves basketball couldn't have been Bronny. Agreed. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I'm glad they didn't call him Bronny, though. <laughs> yeah, that would have, that would have been a little uncomfortable, I think. But uh, yeah, we could talk about this one for a while too. I know. I know. What what else we got to get in today? I think we got uh, probably a little bit of NBA draft, right? Because that's going to come up before Sunday. Yeah, that's coming up this week. MLB trade lines coming up this oh my week. Gosh, yeah. The NHL cannot stop making trades. Man, how do you salary dump the reigning Vezina Trophy winner? This Could, has been a bizarre week in the NHL, man. Goalie wise, especially too. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I really couldn't believe that, and that gives that gives the Blackhawks a leg up for a team that was kind of scrawl, crawling out of a a dark hole. I mean, to to if lean plays a, for them. If he plays for them, that's true. I mean, but and, and they just gave Seth Jones all that money, so yeah, big it, off season. Yeah, it's uh, the whole landscape changed a ton, and it's going to happen more. So, uh, but I still feel really good about where the Predators are based on what we talked about on Sunday. So I'm very happy with that, and clearly some of the remaining moves are going to fall to them, which uh, you know it might be kind of David Poyle style to sit back and let let things shake out, and then see who's left who really didn't accomplish what they wanted to, and we can help fill that gap. Yeah, we know the biggest hole is going to be replacing Carly Yarncrook, basically. Yep. And with that cap space that the Preds have freed up, you've got to think Poyle's aiming at somebody who's, uh, you know, a legit top six winger out there to add on. There's still some work to be done for the Preds with the restricted free agency, new contracts for Dante Fabro, for Ellie Tolvanen, and especially for UC Saros. But really, I mean, that's as far as they got to go for the most part. You can see them trying to make that one move for a top six winger. But besides that, this team feels pretty set, and it feels pretty set in the vision that David Poyle wanted to give the young players some room to get up there and grow at the same time as keeping a highly competitive core. Honestly, I'd like to see an extension for Phil Forsberg come into play sometime soon too. So we don't have that hanging over the heads, but yeah, it's it's not a bad place to be in if you're a Preds fan. And watching all the chaos that's surrounding some of these teams, it could have been worse. <laughs> it, oh, there's no doubt. And I I don't know if I would qualify David Poyle as an opportunist. I mean, I guess you have to be to be a really good GM, but he doesn't seem to like jump 
at every little thing that's out there, right? Like he he's I would personify him as being very thoughtful, pragmatic, and planned. Uh, not risk averse, but definitely more in that other area. With that said, what I love about this flurry, no pun intended, is that there is there's going to create somebody that's available potentially, and we're in a position to jump on that. And hopefully, it's one of those top six six wingers we're talking about, or something. I can't predict who that might be, but this is going to leave somebody in a weird spot where. Poyle being a smart opportunist may be able to say, all right, we have the resources. Let's go grab that. It's a screaming deal. But most likely that's not going to happen, but we're in a position to do that is what I'm saying. And otherwise your plan is right. Like let's, let's, we got a new core. We got a new uh, uh, burgeoning team. Um, let's lock them down and then just fill the major gap and, and move on. So we're, we're in a good spot. Another name I'll throw out there that I haven't heard linked to the Preds, but I would like to see would be Phil Deneau. I feel like a yeah. a really talented guy who's mostly known for his defense, although he can still put the puck in the net when it comes to it, would be a great fit for this slight identity change that the Preds are doing. Yeah. You can see the focus a lot on this offseason for not just them, but we talked about it with the Kraken. We've talked about it with the New York Rangers. This is a copycat league. And right now, a lot of teams are prioritizing grit and prioritizing being tough to play against. That's something we've talked about with the Preds forever was one of their biggest problems in the playoffs was clearing the crease. Yeah. Having that big bodies around there to do the dirty work. And I, I, I think a guy like Dano would fit in there real solidly. Maybe and try Duchesne on the wing like we saw at the end of last season. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And you got to think that that's what they're what they're challenging the coach and the team to do is to create that kind of identity right now. They're building some players that can do that. So it's going to be exciting. Nonetheless, um, it's fun to see all these things happen and know that we're in such a perspectively good spot. I mean, nothing's promised, but it feels good where we're at. Yeah, I don't think this is a rebuild for the Preds. All right. <laughs> the competitive part is is where the weight is for the competitive no rebuild no doubt so yeah we will definitely mourn some of the players that we lost this offseason but it's still it's still a good team to be a lot of teams would envy the place that the preds are in right now and with the support that we got here in sports city nashville tennessee the smashville crowd behind them it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah once this next season opens up regardless so hey, why don't uh, why don't we preview a little bit of that NBA draft? What do you think's going on there? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of variability here. It seems like the two, or at least I mean, obviously Cade Cunningham is coming down to the uh, to the number one there, and beyond that, there's a lot of a lot of movability besides uh, Suggs coming out of Gonzaga is one of the only folks that we're seeing kind of hanging around the same spot. Everybody keeps moving around in these uh, in these in these mock drafts that I'm seeing. Yeah, with the consensus that it's pretty much four top players at the top of this draft. True, and then a couple that really are kind of eye of the beholder types. There is the expectation that there'll be a lot of movement going on around this draft, and I love that. I think that's fun. I definitely think that's going to be true this year, especially with so many teams holding multiple picks higher in this draft i mean there's a lot of you look go down this draft board you see the same names a whole bunch of times you do that's scary you feel like a lot of those teams want to move up so if you're a team like the cleveland cavaliers who might be looking to 
to drop out of one of those top coveted top four spots you could get an absolute haul from maybe a team like oklahoma city that has a quintillion draft picks in the next few years or maybe you're looking at a team like memphis who swung that big trade just now you know we can't get out of here before we say goodbye to another beloved player from one of our tennessee teams it's gonna be hard seeing that grizzlies team without jv he's He's been such a big part of it. There's the double-doubles machine there in the middle. I, and, and yeah, yeah while I feel like Valanciunas is the best player in that trade, the Grizz did pretty good getting those draft picks back, getting a guy like Steven Adams who could basically fit a grit grind Grizzlies and maybe approximate 75% of what Valanciunas can do, at least defensively. I, I think that's a great way to personify it is best player in the draft. And, you know, it's funny – I have a hard time breaking out of fantasy football mode when I talk about drafts now. I really do. It be I, I feel like you always want to get the best player because you're talking about that one year. I don't play any dynasty leagues, so that you know you're that's exactly what you're focused on is who can give me the best opportunity week by week or game by game. And that's not the way this works, and that's what's so smart about this trade. I, I agree. Stephen Adams fits the mold. He's going to fit into our team really well, and he produces. That's If you're going to get a player back that has is a starting caliber and can play at that level to start, that's valuable if you build assets around him. And we know this is a team that's growing and needs more of that and already kind of has its stars. It would be great to bring a star in, but we have our stars forming. That's what we need is the, we need more assets to build around that and see what hits while bringing a core that can keep the identity going. And Valanchunas, unfortunately for us now, was potentially the major driver of that identity last year. He certainly put the exclamation points on it throughout the season, sometimes more than Jaw did. I mean, Jaw was electrifying, but he personified what the team represented for the whole season and really broke out with us in a lot of ways. So. It's sad to see him go, but I think you said it really well. We got somebody back that's going to fill the gap 80 90% some days, and we're going to be able to build around our strategy. And it obviously looks like it's just a precursor to more moves. I yeah, mean, it's got to be. If you look at that Grizz team with the incredible depth that they already have, I think the common wisdom, what most people see when they look at that team, is to take that next step forward you want to cash in some of that depth for a star and go in the opposite way, basically trading a guy like Valanciunas for two players who might not be on his level, but are both definitely rotation quality players in the NBA. The Grizz already have a ton of those, but you, I mean, the other thing that started out so much was the Pelicans must've really needed to get rid of Eric Bledsoe's contract because they gave up a lot as far as draft capital in addition to the players in this trade. So yeah. the Grizz come out good. They come out well-stocked. And I feel like that's that's what this was all about, getting ammunition to make a bigger move, to try to cash in some of that depth for some real high upside. Also, I would really like to see them spin off Eric Bledsoe selfishly because, man, he's he's kind of the anti-Chris Paul, isn't he? Every, every team that Eric Bledsoe joins underachieves from where his expectations were. Isn't that crazy? Like, because on paper, he should fit, right? Like, he's a great he defensive be a big upgrade at backup point. There's no doubt sure, about it. At yeah. the minimum, he's he's borderline a definitive starter. Uh, you know, low tier starting point guard, borderline. 
But he's ideal for a backup point guard. He's defensive-minded. He's learned how to score a little bit over the years. And But, yeah, he's just – he makes me nervous anytime he, anytime he comes to a new team because he, he doesn't seem to fit in either somehow. Like, he's – I don't want to say he's not a team player. I hate personifying people like that. I don't think he's poisonous. I want to be really clear. But, like, I don't hear people talking about how he helps a team come together. And that's what – that's what this Grizz team needs. I think the big question now is, what are we angling towards? What is our expectations for? What are our expectations for this year? Because I Time hate to make the leap, man. The pre, the Grizz made the playoffs last season. It's time to take a step up and be a legit contender. You know what? That's I, where they are. I love aiming right there. Then you're right. They need to make the haul right now. Otherwise, they're also in a as good position to build. West. It is. I know. Hey, they're one of the more unique teams. I know they're going to be fun, but it's going to be really – they're in a hard position because they're not ready right now. Now they have assets to be able to make that change. But there's no guarantee they're going to be able to do that in one year. And I hope I hope they can bring in that one player that can do that because you're right. Right now with that trade, based on where we were last year, we took a step back. We did. We took a step back losing uh, Valanciunas. So we need to bring somebody else in somehow with this hall. Otherwise, good positioning for the upcoming couple of years, that's a tough position to be in because they've they've got to do something to take that big leap. And I agree. I think we should have those expectations of the Grizz this year. That's a tough leap to make to go from, you know, to go from where they were last year or the year before that to, you know, legitimate every year playoff contender. That's a tough leap. That's what they've done, though. But now to take that extra leap from playoff contender to legitimate title contender, like we saw the Phoenix Suns do this year, it requires something else. Yep. It requires something to boost you up on that step. We can hope as much as we can for Ja to continue on his trajectory and improve every year. We can help for health from Jaron Jackson. Uh, it looks we like we're it. not going to get the Justice Winslow <laughs> that we were wanting. But, you know, that there has to be something that can really kind of put a rocket under the ass of this team and boost it forward and accumulating all these assets and all that great depth, all these talented players. Smart. That's the only way to do it. It It is one of the only ways to do it. So I'm going to be excited to jump on the air with you on Sunday and talk about how this draft plays out and what has changed between now and then for the Grizz's outlook. Cause that's going to, I'm going to, I'm excited this whole off season to be watching that. Oh yeah. We were talking about the draft, weren't we? That's right. (laughs) Look, I'm fascinated to see a couple of names in this draft for sure. I Personally, I think this depth is deeper than people give it credit for by focusing on that top four. There's a lot of quality depth in this one, but there's also a lot of players that there seems to be really no consensus on. You know, Keon Johnson's a big name there, right out, of, right out of here in Tennessee. You know, we could see him go as high as number five overall or, you know, out of the lottery completely. There's a lot of teams that maybe don't want to take the chance on a guy who needs development. And then, you know, there's names like Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga, who some teams love as much, almost as much as those top four prospects in the draft. But other teams basically wouldn't draft them nearly that high. So I feel like there'll be a lot of movement. I definitely think there's going to be a lot of trades. Teams looking to package their multiple picks to move up to get the guy they really want. Yeah. And you know what? That's 
that's what it comes down to. There's also a lot of salaries that are rumored about being on the move. So, you know, package something. Maybe maybe the Grizz put together a package to jump up high in the draft. Maybe the Grizz put together a package that could pry away a guy like Buddy Heald. You know, there's there's so many options out there. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun one. It's definitely going to be franchise changing for a lot of teams that have looked at this as the year for them to change. Like, yeah, I mean, the Golden State Warriors That's, are sitting there with two high draft picks. Got my eye on that for sure. And some big salaries. You know they're looking to be right back in that title mix with Clay Thompson returning next year. What do they do in the draft? There's so many different ways the teams can go about this that it's really going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, it is. The whole landscape's going to change, not just for the Grizz, but for everybody. And the Warriors, I'm going to have my eye on them too. I mean, they're ready to win now. Do they package those? Do they give up one of them? Do they take those draft picks and take three lottery picks in two years when you're a healthy, a championship contender? That's a unique spot to be in. So it's going to be it's going to be fun to see. I, I cannot wait to recap it on Sunday, and I can't wait to follow the Grizz this whole time because the Warriors, I think, are one of the bigger questions. And the Grizz, I think, are right up there. Everybody has questions around them, but those, I really do think, are two of the most intriguing teams in this entire league in this offseason. Plus, the Grizz made themselves must-see TV yeah, last season. Yeah, they so did. Don't miss out, man. High league pass rating. What will Ja do next? That's right. Gosh, it's going to be fun. I feel like the NBA season just ended. But I'm ready for it, man. I see a full season of Triple J. I know. Oh, we need to get get and see them live a little bit more next year. That'll be a lot of fun. It'll be it, it, the the Grizz are going to be fun no matter what, and I guarantee they're going to be competitive. Note to FedEx Forum: Open your damn concession stands if fans are in the building. That's right. Come on, I know that was not a professional experience this season, but hey, we'll get there. We're looking forward to to full crowds, and you know, God willing. <laughs> a much more normal season for most of our sports next year and a return to health for most people out there. So look, we both have the vaccine. We're both out there getting to sports events again and having a good time. If you haven't gotten it yet, please, please, please reconsider (laughs) and just think about, think about what's real instead of the bullshit that's out there. Couldn't have said it best. 93% of people being hospitalized right now are unvaccinated and you know, that sticks with me. So I highly recommend it and help us all get back to watching sports together again. We're, we're going to be on the hopeful You're in USA at a sports bar. All right. That's right. To a rowing team. High five somebody instead of from <laughs> six feet away. Boat. Row that boat. That's USA. Right. Row that boat. I love it. Oh man. Yep. I can't wait. We're going to be, great, and we're going to be following. We're going to be following every week, bi-weekly, even uh, as sports hopefully open up more. And we see all these, all these seasons, all these leagues get right back on track. It's going to be fun. I'm really lucky to do it with you, my friend. For sure. Always good to see you, buddy. And always good to be here. You too, brother. Walk it off on WXNA every Sunday night. And then when we get to meet Cheers. up here for the midweek happy hour hang. Heck yeah. Cheers. Cheers.